Shravya, have you seen this draw? Yeah. Did you see that Muguruza has to make it out of Kostiuk, Cerebus Tormo, and Martich before having to play Iga? Yes, and poor Dominic Team has to get past Anduhar, Delbonis, and Rude if he wants to rebound. Well, as Olivia Rodrigo would say, it's brutal out here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So today we have episode 60 and it is May 29th and it's definitely been a bit since we've recorded. I mean, we've been trying to do this every Wednesday thing, but this week it didn't really work because there was nothing going on until the French Open draw came out. So that's what we're doing today. Yeah, and I mean, we're already at another slam. It's Well, actually, I don't know if I would say already. It definitely feels like the Australian Open was a while ago, but definitely... Um, you know, we're back at this, uh, back at a Grand Slam, and even though it's, you know, Roland Garros, which isn't, you know, Ideal. typically, isn't our favorite, we still are very excited, so that, that goes to show you. But, um, as Josephina said, not only did we, you know, didn't really know when to record until the draw came out, we've been so busy with, like, schoolwork, and all, you know, final projects, final tests, final assignments, so our social media pages have been kind of inactive this week, but... But not anymore. Now we're now that the French Open is starting, we're kind of back into it. And um, a little funny thing that we noticed as we were coming up with an episode title, trying to pick something timely and something you know that people would some some pop culture references. We actually noticed a similarity between our Australian Open uh, draw preview episode and or like one of our Australian Open episodes and our French Open one. Yeah, and it's that they both include Olivia Rodrigo because she recently came out recently as this week, right? Mm-hmm. Came out. With, oh no, no, last week, last week. Last week came out with her album Sour, her debut album, which is really good. So go listen to that. And the thing is that when we had done the Australian Open, her debut song had just come out, Driver's License. So then we did the intro skit based off of that because they're both going viral. So. Yeah, it's kind of a coincidence that they happen at the same time. Maybe she's a tennis fan and doesn't maybe know it she's yet. A, yeah, maybe. Also, like, maybe she, I mean, Sour is, like, all about, you know, her breakup or, like, feeling really, like, down. you know, like, mad and down and whatever. Maybe that's her personal opinion of, um, of Roland Garros as well. <laughs> So next up, we have some hot headlines, actually. So you may have heard by now, but Naomi Osaka has decided to boycott the press. She came out with a statement on May 26th saying, Hey, everyone, you hope you're all doing well. I'm writing this to say that I'm not going to do any press during the during Roland Garros. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health. And this rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. So... And then she says a bunch more after that. 
But um, basically, the point is that she's boycotting it because she feels that the press doesn't prioritize the player. Instead, it prioritizes the entertainment and getting the information out of the player. So she's she's just doing this on the foundation of mental health rights and how people should be more considerate of how the athletes are doing. Yeah, and we're going to unpack all that. But... Um, then journalists begin to ask other players for their perspective. So a lot of sort of quotes have been circulating around Nadal, Iga Swiatek, Ash Barty, Daniil Medvedev's responses to this. We're not really going to share those specific quotes because the full transcripts are more important and because they provide more context of what those players actually mean when they are responding to those. Um, and, you know, I think one of the big issues is that a lot of clickbaity quotes have been going around. But the gist was that players either don't feel the same way about press conferences and or respect Naomi's decision anyways. Um, But, you know, a lot of people are trying to post these, like, one-liners from these players' like, minute or two long responses as, like, clickbaity quotes to sort of, you know, portray that they're dragging Naomi for her decision or trying to stir up controversy or make Naomi look bad, which is literally proving Naomi's point right that like yeah exactly so that's why we don't want to you know try to condense it down to one quote so we would encourage you to take a look at their full responses and Naomi's full message but um there's definitely a lot to dive into here based on Naomi's decision if it's warranted if press is a responsibility um and kind of what this means for the future of press conferences and you know journalism and tennis I mean, once again, we're seeing her use her platforms for um, uh, for a cause that she cares about. This time, it's mental health. And obviously, yes, press is part of the job because it is a responsibility that athletes have. And it's the way that they can connect to the media and fans and get what they want to say out so that we really get an inside on what's going on in the tennis world. And... But at the same time, Naomi has the luxury to skip these press conferences because, of course, they come with a $20,000 fine. So that's a lot. And to miss each one, if she, for well, example... for her, that's nothing. Yeah, exactly. For her, that's nothing, yeah. If she makes it to the title, for example, she has to miss, like, what, one, two... Six, seven. Six, seven. And that, like, builds up. But, of course, for her, she's an amazing player. She's an amazing athlete with so many, like brand opportunities outside of tennis she has the luxury to make this decision so whether she's um using that to her advantage in order to make a statement is what we're seeing here but at the same time um other players that might want to speak out on this and act against it can't do it yeah they don't yeah that's the other thing like um i mean she like we're like we're gonna go into this even more later but like the argument can certainly be made, as Josephine was saying, that, like, why, like, players should be, you know, that's, like, that's the least that they can do for their fans, right? Like, show up to press conferences and whatever. That's why those fines are in place. And, obviously, for a lot of these players, like, especially the bigger stars, those fines are, like, nothing. Like, it's a drop in the bucket for, like, what their salaries and their earnings are otherwise. So, it kind of, like, distances them, distances themselves from them. Um, so, I definitely see that argument, but... As we're going to talk about later, I would, like, Naomi's experience with the press is unique and a lot different than what most other players may have, um, and there is definitely validity to her decision. But there's also, like, there's 
complete fair point that, like, yeah, press conferences, like, like players should have a responsibility to sort of engage with the media and kind of make themselves, you know, accessible because that, that I think that is the role of the sport, right, to try to make it, like, accessible to fans and spread it. Yeah, it's one of those things where if it becomes an option, then just everybody's going to start skipping it, and mm-hmm. that's something that we just can't have. But there also is probably a reason why she's skipping it, right? Like, it, there's it's also, like, not like, oh, all these press conferences are, like, picture-perfect, why is she skipping it? There's definitely stuff to evaluate about what those what's wrong there, too. Yeah, so actually tennis commentator Abigail Johnson gave a really good take on this saying and responding to her to Naomi Osaka's statement. Unfortunately, press conference questions can be very low quality, but the purpose of questioning a player after a loss is to let them give their perspective for a story that's going to be written either way. Done the right way, it should be for their benefit. And she also said it's dangerous territory. Journalists can represent can present themselves better or word questions more considerately, but otherwise they can't control how a player perceives the questions. Ultimately, everyone at the press conference, journalist, player, moderator, etc., is there to fulfill a job requirement. So, yeah, we completely agree with that statement because the whole point is that the players are getting their perspective and their view on what happened there out. So, in case they want to make any excuses that need to be made, for example, if they were they had an injury that wasn't prominent and couldn't be seen by the television and say that they were in pain, this is something that can be useful so that they can let the press and the people know what's really going on. And then also, it can give insight on what's going to happen in the future of their tennis. And it really, it's just all around giving us a better and more well-rounded look on players and how they affect the tennis world and how they operate within the professional tennis world in a perfect world a press conference would be the perfect thing right it lets journalists write their stories and kind of get at what the players are thinking it lets players connect with their fans and the rest of the world and kind of talk about how they're feeling about their game and it lets fans see what's going on with their favorite players right so in a perfect world a press conference is amazing it's perfect but clearly you know um you've you've probably seen this circulating on social media or whatever like remember the whole thing about like the the hubert hercotch thing like where he sat down for his press conference and nobody and, asked and no any one, questions no one asked any questions that was so, so sad I like clearly there's like there's clearly like issues there within the press conference culture where it's not as professional as it could be or you know there's a lot of you know um unprofessional journalists there or it's not as like ideal as it should be so i think that also poses the question of like in the future um what the tennis world needs to do to make the players more accessible and make the media more accessible for them while reaching like the audience they want to reach especially younger fans in a way that sort of serves both sides and like we were saying before maybe naomi is doing this from a place of privilege but that's the thing like the the incident that happened with hubert is like a great example of how the press obviously favorites certain players and naomi is obviously at the top of that list because she Mm -hmm. speaks out about so many causes and um and ideas that are really important right now so if she stays silent right now that is she's make she has do you know what i mean she has the biggest effect by 
skipping the conferences because she is one of the top athletes right now and also she is such an activist and has opinions on many things other than tennis and that's really important yeah and I think that moving into what we were going to talk about next is that Naomi taking the stand is a big thing right because she is an activist we've seen her take stands about causes that she cares about um you know throughout her career and I mean clearly her taking this stance mean like clearly she's in a bad spot right now like in terms of her mental health I mean obviously that's why she's taking this break and um I think it was difficult after her losses in the past few tournaments um definitely a lot of pressure was put on her like oh is she just a hardcore player oh is she really gonna do anything on the natural surfaces whatever whatever or it might be something totally different from that so I think that it is telling that she is making this move it's clearly she wouldn't speak out on it if she didn't care um and I think this is different than something like Djokovic skipping his press conference after the U.S. Open incident. I mean, that was a matter of accountability or, like, responsibility, in my opinion. This seems to be, like, Naomi's situation seems to be more of a personal matter. And I think even more to that, what people aren't talking enough about is the fact that Naomi actually said that she wants to take a more active role in improving the press conference culture and the like culture surrounding athletes mental health and um she wrote an email to the Roland Garros organizers saying um in reference to my stance on press during RG I wanted to explain the following this is 100% nothing against the French Open or even the press members themselves this stance is against the system requiring athletes to be forced to do press on occasions when they are suffering from mental health I believe it is archaic and in need of reform after this tournament, I want to work with the tours and the governing bodies to figure out how we best compromise to change the system. Unfortunately for Roland Garros, this has happened during your tournament, which is just pure coincidence and nothing personal. I have nothing but respect for your event. So, as you can see right there, I mean, her argument is crystal clear. There's no reason why, you know, athletes shouldn't be allowed to prioritize their mental health if they feel like they're in a bad spot. And she actually actively wants to work to improve on that after this tournament, which I think is really admirable. Yeah, so it's important that we see that she has an actual agenda. She's not just doing this for kicks. She wants to make actual change, not just um, something that we've seen a lot nowadays, performative activism. So no, the, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what's so admirable about her, and that's what we've been saying. Like, she took this stand because it's something she cares about, you know, and she's not that type of person who's going to be passive about it. Like, she actively wants to contribute to changing that culture, not just for herself, but because but for other players as well. As you were saying, there's probably a bunch of players out there who are struggling with mental health too, but don't have that luxury to be able to pay off those fines so easily, right? So Naomi is coming from a place of privilege, but I truly think that... I mean, with her goal and with her message, like, she's doing, she's using that position in, in an effort for her good. So the WTA actually made a statement on mental health, and they said mental health is of the utmost importance to the WTA. For that matter, every individual person. We have a team of professionals and a support system in place that look after our athletes' mental and emotional health and well-being. The WTA welcomes a dialogue with Naomi and all players to discuss possible approaches that can help support an athlete as they manage any concerns related to mental health while also allowing us to deliver upon our responsibilities to the fans and public. Professional athletes have a responsibility to their sport and their fans to speak to the media surrounding their competition, allowing them to 
the opportunity to share their perspective and tell their story. So yes, press is a responsibility that all athletes should have, but professional athletes should also be able to prioritize their mental health like Naomi is doing. And basically, she's trying to come across that perfect balance where the athlete is respected, but also they're getting their voice heard. I also like truly don't think well, I mean, this is also, like, just because of the platform she has. Like, if anyone else did this, it wouldn't really get as much attention. But I think that also, I mean, we're going to talk about this in a bit, too. But I think also people just, like, whatever, like to drag Naomi for anything she does for whatever reason that may be. Um, but, I mean, for example, when Dominic Team took time off, right, saying that he wasn't mentally, feeling mentally strong enough. Did anyone say, did anyone drag him for that? No. But at the same time, he didn't do anything. He just... That's true. I mean, like, in the sense of, like, prioritizing mental health, I guess. Yeah. But a slightly different situation. But I think the response... The the point is that, you know, athletes definitely do take time and adapt to prioritizing their mental health in whatever way that might be. Naomi thought it was to do it this way. She felt personally other players take time off, take seasons off. Um... So, I mean, everyone's going through their own own little bumps sometimes. But, I mean, also, I fully trust Naomi with this, what she's trying to change, because we've already seen her make active change. For example, that whole day pause mm-hmm. at the Western and too. Southern Open. That's she's done this too. already. She knows how to get the tourists talking and how exactly. to get things done. Yeah. So, honestly, it's great that she's the one that's taking... Um, that's taking Taking kind of the exactly taking initiative on this and making use of this decision like yeah it's a personal matter for her but she realized that it resonates larger than just her and as we said for players who might not have that privilege now what we've been hinting at this whole time is how you know while players may be commenting or like people might be chatting about like oh like come on it's press you should just do it it never really affects me that poorly her experience with the press is inherently far different from other players's you know people like naomi venus serena coco like the racial and gender implications there just mean that like their experience in those press conferences is just never the same as white players experiences and that's just a fact i mean literally an example from yesterday someone asked like the most stupid question to coco goff in the press conference they said, you were often compared to the Williams sisters. Maybe it's because you're black, but I guess it's because you're talented and maybe American too. We could have a final between you and Serena. Is it something you hope for? I mean, 22 years separate you girls. Like, what kind of question is that? That's not even coherent. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I mean, that's just one example. I mean, you've seen throughout, like, people who've been following tennis for even longer have seen, like, all the crap that Venus and Serena have probably have gotten in their press conferences and the way that they've been talked about, like, Eon Kiriak, the um, tournament organizer for the Mutual Madrid Open, the things that he said about Serena before. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, but, I mean, main point is, being, like, um, a female athlete of color, being a black female athlete, like, they're gonna have way worse experiences in the press than someone like Daniil Medvedev, who's even, who, regardless of the fact that he's seen as the villain on court, like, he's gonna have a breezy time through press in comparison to these four women. 
Yeah, exactly. And I feel that the thing is that how it works out is that they have more to speak on because they are affected by more of these racial or gender implications throughout the media. And the thing is that once they do speak out on it, then they're targeted for it. So it's just this endless cycle. And the thing is, without the majority of players that are white speaking out on these same um, causes and these um, initiatives, then it seems like it's just they continue to be targeted as like the specific people in the situation. Like, I hate to even give this airtime. I really didn't want to going into this episode. But, like, I think it's important to just, like, highlight it. Like, you might have seen what Belinda Bench said today about Naomi, where she was like, I think she does a lot of good things and speaks out a lot of, about a lot of good things, but most of the time I think it's just for her to stay relevant or, like, to stay in the talk. And I was just like, well, it must be good for you, Belinda, not having to speak out against anything because you're so privileged that way. Like, it must, it must feel nice. Must yeah, feel exactly. Nice, Belinda. That's exactly what I meant. That's the epitome of what I was trying to say. Yeah. So, yeah, the main takeaway is just let's hope that the players and especially Naomi Osaka in this situation, that their mental health is okay. And win or lose, that should be the priority. That's what she's trying to get across. And hopefully she can make change as we've seen her do before in the tours and surrounding the press conferences. But, um, yeah, just finding that balance between respecting the player's mental health while also getting the information to the public and the media is really what she's trying to do. And we really appreciate it because it's obviously something that's been a problem for a long time. Yeah, I mean, as I said, like, people will jump on the opportunity to drag Naomi for this. Like, but again, the clickbaity quotes, the types of questions that people have continued to ask players, especially like the one asked to Coco Golf. Um, or like, you know, again, all, all those other, um, double standards that, you know, BIPOC female athletes have, that's just continuing to prove Naomi's point, you know, like this. So, I mean, it's all, let's just, as Josephina said, I mean, let's just hope that Naomi's mental health is okay and that something good can come out of this. And I think something will, as you said, Naomi's proved herself that she can work with the tours to make stuff happen. So I'm optimistic. Moving into some more lighthearted news, um, a new Rafael Nadal statue was unveiled at Roland Garros. People had some mixed thoughts on this. I personally really like it. Like, I, think, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I just, I find it hilarious that the slam has its own favorite player. I know. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. It's also like, remember the Barcelona Open, like the center court <laughs> was named Rafael Nadal. I was thinking like when Stefano Tsitsipas had match points, championship points against him in the final, you must have been thinking like, oh my God, this court is named after him. I'm not supposed to win here. <laughs> what, am I supposed, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. Um, or even like, isn't the court at like, like the Belgrade tournament named after Djokovic or something. Yeah, it's like yeah. the something cor- Novak Djokovic Arena, something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this statue is pretty awesome. Yeah. I think I like we'll it. have Iga Swiatek and Sebastian Korda <laughs> running to take some pictures there very soon. Okay, now into what we've been working on for the past 12 hours is a draw analysis. You might have seen us post those photos on Twitter. We really went all out with annotating our draws, adding our little commentary on the side. But we're excited to discuss, and today we're going to be starting off with what I'm super excited to talk about, the WTA draw. 
Yeah, so first up we have Ashley Barty's quarter. So obviously we have Ash, the favorite to win the tournament along with Iga and Sabalenka probably. So we took a she took a bunch of time off after retiring in the Rome quarterfinals versus Coco Goff, but she's also had the Stuttgart title, Madrid title, and she's the 2019 French oh, Open champion. Oh, Madrid final, sorry. Madrid oh, final. Madrid final. But either way, that's still 1,000. Huge success on the clay tour this season. And like we said, she hasn't played the 2020 French Open. So this is her first one since she won. So for her, she's technically returning. But technically in the entire tennis world, she's not. But um, either way, she has a potential round of 16 match versus Coco Goff, so that could prove some difficulty for her. But as we've seen, she performs phenomenally in Grand Slams. Yeah, I wanted to say, like, let's talk about Coco for a little bit. She's seated. Like, she has made some really good strides in the past few weeks. She took the title in Parma. She actually she actually took the, both the singles and the doubles title in Parma. So the youngest player to do that on the WTA since Maria Sharapova. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And she seems, I mean, looking at her draw, she's seated 24th. She seems to reach the, is set to reach the second week at the round of 16 pretty handedly. Um, she will probably play Ash Barty in the round of 16, which would be a rematch of their Rome quarterfinal match, which we mentioned. And I would say, like, overall, this is a great opportunity for Coco. She seems really comfortable on the clay. Um, so I'm excited to see how she does and how that match plays out. But as we talk about often, I think Ash Barty, being the more experienced player, um, having such a solid season throughout so far, her Grand Slam mentality is really going to um, be key here. So that's what it's looking like in the top section of that quarter. Moving into the other section, we have the Pliskova, Muhova, and Svitolina, eighth of the draw. And main point here is, to be honest, Karolina Muhova, if she stays healthy, seems like the pretty strong favorite in this section. There is a chance for a Sloan versus Muhova third round, though, which could be pretty exciting. But, I mean, we saw Carolina Muhova play pretty well this season, but it's always a question of whether she can stay injury-free. And Alina Svitolina is also going to have some difficulty making it um, far in the round. She has a lot of danger coming up in the third round. She can either be facing Krejcikova, who just won Strasbourg title today, or Alexandrova, and we've both seen them do pretty well this season. So um, what we're predicting is an Ashley Barty versus Mahova quarterfinal, which would be a rematch of the Australian Open quarterfinal if Barty makes it through. And we're saying this because of reasons we've already stated, that if Mahova, which she is looking healthy, makes it, she's definitely a favorite in this section besides Ashley Barty, who's the whole tournament favorite. Yeah, and we kind of just glossed over Carolina Pliskova because, yeah, she got to the Rome final, but she, like, always peaks in Rome. Yeah. So, I and also, she has, like, a tough section with, like, Sloan Stevens, and then she's probably going to end up having pl- to play Carolina Muhova if she, gets the, if she gets further. So, I think that Muhova is definitely the most dangerous player in that area, and then we're going to see Ash Barty probably pull through. Our next quarter is Sophia Kennan's quarter. Yes, you heard that correctly, Sophia Kennan. I feel like we have not been seeing that much of her this year. She obviously had a tough start to the season with her appendicitis and, you know, just hasn't been playing as great as she did in 2020. But in this section, it's overall a very open quarter. And 
As far as Kennen goes, who is the fourth seed, I mean, I have no clue what to expect. I mean, I'm not expecting much, but she does have a lot of points or, you know, performance to defend because she is the defending finalist. Um, so she does have her work cut out for her, though. Yeah, and she has to open against Helena Ostapenko, a previous French Open champion. So that's don't forget, that's don't forget. <laughs> yeah, and and then possibly Jessica Pagula in the third round. So this is a very tough draw for Sofia, especially since she's just recovering. I mean, the appendicitis has really taken a toll on her performance. I mean, before she had it, she was on top of her game. She made it yeah. to the she did all that Bro, stuff yeah. i feel it's <laughs> leaving my mind right now but you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah 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 no definitely and just a side note speaking of yelena ostapenko winning the french open the woman she faced off against in that final simona Halep, actually is not playing roland garros um and you know she wasn't having a great clay season anyway but we usually see her as always one of those french open favorites but her leaving also has really opened the path, I would say, for some of these players. Um, but yeah, this Sophia Kennan section is looking very mysterious. And the bottom section of her quarter is where it gets even more open. So we've got Elise Mertens and Maria Sakkari in this section, who are probably going to be the two who make it through to the third round and then will probably pull out of here. Um, and, I mean, both of them have a shot at reaching the quarters, too, if they are able to take out whoever comes out of Kennan's section, whether that be Sofia Kennan, Yelena Ostapenko, or Jessica Pagula. But as we've been saying, this Kennan area is super open. So we could get, you know, Jessica Pagula, or as we like to call her, JPEG. Uh, we could get Sakura, we could get Kellen, we, uh, Kennan, we could get Yelena Ostapenko. Who knows who we get, but... It's in the bottom half of this quarter, which is Iga Swiatek's section, where it gets even more exciting. Yeah, so this part is stacked. Like, so many players. So before we even get to Iga's section, we if we're discussing Muguruza's, I mean... I mean, we talked about it in the intro skit. Man, this woman is going through it right now. She's opening versus Marta Kostyuk. And then we also have Sarah Cerevis Tormo there, the dark horse, like the forever dark horse, the infinity dark horse. I don't know what we should call her, but she's always dangerous for some reason. Um, and then we have Petra Marcic, who is very good on clay as well. So, I mean, this is, wow. I'm so she sorry, also had Lugu. A, yeah, Marcic also had a good run a couple of weeks ago. She's also paired up with Francesca Schiavone now as her coach, which we also talked about. So, Martich is always, like, someone who s often sneaks through there um, when you least expect it. But Muguruza hasn't played a lot on clay yet, which is kind of surprising because we, could like, consider her, think of her as one of those strong clay quarters. Um, she only played in Charleston and Madrid, so she was a bit injured. But, I mean, I would just say that, like, she's been in amazing form all season. She's leading or, like, one of the leaders in the number of wins count. She feels really comfortable on clay, obviously a former champion here. And I think that even though these are difficult opponents, like with a tough opening round, possibility possibility of some difficulty from Cerebus Tormo or Petra Martic, I really do think that she can make it through that into a potential round of 16 versus Shriatek and challenge Iga in that match. So 
maybe that's just us being hopeful, but if, I don't know if she would pull off that Iga upset, but I do think that she could definitely make it to the round of 16, despite having one of the most difficult draws. And I know that's not really saying much, only because she is facing off against the defending champion in her quarter, but um, th then again, she hasn't played in a while, and this is a tough draw. But speaking of that defending champion, we've got Iga Swiatek, and you know, the main threats in her section of the draw, we would say, would be um, Annette Contivate and Anna Karolina Smitlova, who we've mentioned here and there. But she can handle that. I mean, she she can she can take care of that. If she won the title last year without dropping a set, I think she can take she care of She went into, like, god mode last year. That was Literally. insane. Yeah. And she really proved herself in Rome. Like, she was having a decent season this year already. But I think her really, like, pulling that out and that great performance out in Rome really said a lot. Um, and I think it's a tough draw for her once she has to face Muguruza and then, you know, whoever's coming out of that canon area. But I definitely think that she, like, Iga is poised to make it into the quarters and then to the semis as well. Um, and there she would be playing Ash Barty, which would be a mashup, a matchup of the past two champions and the past uh, the two current I would say best clay court performers at the moment so that would be exciting and kind of crazy that they're in the same half too yeah so we have all that happening before even the round of 16 so wow this French Open on the WTA side is looking pretty intense so far so next we have Arena Sabalenka's quarter and here we have Serena Williams who has a mediocre draw she's probably facing Daniel Collins in the third round but then Petra Kvitova in the round of 16 so definitely difficult but then again she is Serena Williams so maybe people she can handle so Danielle Collins is coming back from surgery for endometriosis and she's last year's quarterfinalist at the French Open so she, like that tells that she's coming back from injury she's recovering so we're not expecting a lot from her but at her top she is definitely a great player and um, a dark horse to look out for. And then Petra's got a pretty smooth sailing section of the draw, so she'll probably make it to the second week. And Serena versus Petra would be a big one. Can Serena come out of it is the big question here because they do look like the greatest contenders in this section of the draw. And um, between them, it's basically who's going to make it to the quarterfinal. Yeah, I mean, Serena has had those early round losses in Rome and in Parma, but we talk about this. If anyone can bounce back for the slams, it's her. So I think that Serena-Petra match will be really telling. It's definitely a tough one to have in the round of 16. Um, but I certainly think that if Serena's feeling her game in the first few rounds, that that could be a good one because we saw her take out some good players at the Australian Open and the U.S. Open as well. So um, I'm excited for that one should it happen. Then we have Arena Sabalenka, and this is her quarter, and she is a big favorite going into this tournament. I would say, like, so far out of all the, this is the grand, first Grand Slam that we're going into where we're talking about, where people are talking about Sabalenka as one of the top favorites, and the reason she's one of those top favorites is because of her stellar performance, not only in the past, um, I would say, like, 10 months or so, but also her clay season. And I don't like looking at her game and the way she plays and kind of how she's talked about her clay comfort before. You wouldn't think of her as having that great performance on this surface. But she's already gotten to the Stuttgart finals and took the Madrid title when defeating Barty in that final. 
So she has a good amount of um, wins on her belt going into this, but she has a difficult draw. So she opens versus Anna Kanya, who just qualified for the main draw, but has been playing really well. She reached the Belgrade finals where she had to retire, but that is a very difficult first round. Then Sabalenka might have a potential third round versus Pavlyuchenkova, who made the Madrid semis and had some great wins there before losing to Sabalenka. So these are definitely challenging matches for her, but I definitely think that Sabalenka, out of anyone in this portion of the draw, is probably going to be the person who pulls out of it. And then in the top part of Sabalenka's section, we have Azarenka. So last we saw Victoria Azarenka in Madrid, where she lost in the second round. She hasn't been doing too great this year. And we definitely have some young guns in that section where we have Clara Tolson and Leila Fernandez, both players who have made quite some strides this year. And then we also have Madison Keys. So this is a pretty open little section of the draw, and it's good opportunity to anyone for anyone to make it to the round of 16. But again, at the round of 16, they would be meeting Arena Sabalenka, and it's basically set yeah. from there. Yeah, so we'll most likely, to wrap up Sabalenka's quarter, it's most likely going to be Serena or Petra coming through to the quarters from the top. My heart says Serena, my head says Petra, um, even though we, I love them both. Um but then from the bottom, it will probably be Sabalenka. I mean, she does have to get past some difficult players. But I think we'll likely be seeing Sabalenka make the semis from this section, just considering how well she's been playing. And then finally, we have Naomi Osaka's quarter. So first, we have Bianca's section. So Bianca Andreescu, she made the Miami <laughs> final. She she's, couldn't, still, like, she's still a she's tennis She's still player. playing. She's still here. She couldn't play Rome due to COVID isolation rules. Then she played Strasbourg and got a couple of wins there before withdrawing, probably just to rest up for, obviously, the French Open. So if she's healthy, she's definitely a favorite for the title, but she is so unpredictable. It's impossible to tell. So unpredictable. Yeah, mostly because we have nothing, we have no, like, solid results to go off of right now because she Mm -hmm. simply has not been playing and even in Miami, when she when it was like, oh my gosh, Bianca is back, because she was playing amazing there, and then in the final, she gets injured, right? Like, lost the first set, then gets injured and, you know, has to pull out. So, it just seems to be this, like, never-ending sort of issue with her. Yeah. So... Um, Bianca might have to play rising star Maria Camila Sorio, Serrano. That's, oh my god, I thought it was over, and then it kept going. In the second round, and then Kudimitova in the third round. So, Kudimitova is a big dark horse going into the French Open. She has the Charleston title, and decent wins on clay, so definitely some difficult people in Bianca's section as she's really easing back into the tour, and, I mean, this is a big slam, so, I mean... Obviously, we've seen her perform well before in Grand Slams at the U.S. Open in 2019 by winning the whole thing. But um, still, it's kind of... Oh, so unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. And also, it's clay. So we've seen her do well in hardcourt slams. But now that we see her in the French Open on a clay slam, it's going to be different. These are different circumstances. Like, her game's pretty versatile and translates well on the surface, but it's just so, it's like, you're playing, you're playing more matches, you're playing, you know, she hasn't played this many matches, probably back-to-back, and I mean, it's just a lot of unknowns, but um, she definitely has the game. Um, as far as, like, Benjic's little section in that Bianca 
half of this quarter. Um, that's pretty open. I mean, Serana Cristea is there, who just made the Strasbourg final, so she could probably make a run to the round of 16 where she would face off against Bianca or uh, Kudermatova, but I would still put Kudermatova as the favorite to reach um, that, that, that face-off versus Bianca in the third round. Yeah, I'm rooting for Serrano, though. I love her. Yeah, no, she's so she's so humble. She's so cute, and I mean, she definitely has her work cut out for her. But um, it's she did a great job qualifying for this event as well. As far as Naomi Osaka's section, I mean, I hate to say it because I don't want to jinx it, but it's pretty open. I mean, she has a very tough one player who's really tough in this area, which is Paula Bedosa, which would probably be a third round matchup. Um, and it seems like from there, it's just, it's going to be Bedosa or Naomi who makes it to the quarters, which in both sense would be great. I think for Naomi, that would be a great confidence boost, um, in terms of her clay performance. And for Bedosa, I think it would be amazing to see her carry through her success of the past few weeks. Um, and their round of 16 opponent, whoever is going to come out of that, Naomi or Bedosa, it could be anyone, really, because it's going to be coming out of the Burtons and Vondrosova section, and neither Burtons or Vondrosova are playing particularly well. So that's another portion where it's a big opportunity for someone to make the second week of a slam here. Overall, though, Bianca, yeah, we're saying this, if she stays healthy, it seems like she'll be making it to the semifinals and maybe defeating Paul Vadosa or Naomi in the quarters. But then again, still pretty open because, like we said, Bianca's incredibly unpredictable. And also the interesting thing about Naomi is that when she is on an initiative and fighting for a cause, it gives mm, her so much incentive. I, yeah, right? that's true. Like, to it prove adds the haters so wrong. much more to her game. So that's yeah. definitely an interesting component yeah. here, too. Yeah, I I think like with the three of the the three favorites that we probably highlight in this section, Bianca, Naomi, and Bedosa, you could throw you could throw Kudermatova there too if she's able to take up Bianca. With Bianca, it's injury. With Naomi, it's clay. We don't know where she's at mentally. We don't know how. I mean, like it's also a bit of unpredictable. And then with Bedosa and Kudermatova, the prospect of having a deep slam run for them is kind of new, right? So maybe that pressure could get to them as well. So I'm interested to see who comes out of this this quarter. Okay, moving into the ATP, where we've got quite the hilarious split up in the two halves of the draw, as I'm sure you've all heard of, uh, the big three versus the next gen across the two different halves. But we're going to go right into it. So let's talk about Novak Djokovic's quarter. So uh, let's be real. It's a pretty open draw for Novak, the number one seed. I mean, he's been doing pretty well. Just took the title in Belgrade today in his home tournament, um, which was good. He had that crazy match versus Nadal in the finals of Rome. But he's played, obviously, solid. Um, before the quarterfinal, though, there are some spots for players to make a breakthrough and a deep run. I mean, first of all, Matteo Berrettini. Let's talk about this guy. I mean, he seems to have a pretty good shot at making the quarters, perhaps. Um, and he's probably the second strongest player here. I mean, he had the Madrid final, uh, the Belgrade title, and then throwing in another Italian into the mix, we've got Lorenzo Musetti, who had a good run in Lyon into the semifinals. So um, two Italians there who could probably make a big breakthrough. Um, but again, unfortunately, this is, well, we can't be that biased, but this is looking like a pretty Novak-centered section. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting to say that Matteo is the second biggest contender here, 
because I mean that never we happens. We wouldn't have said. Yeah, that. Exactly. We wouldn't have said that like a few months ago. No, but the facts are there. I mean, he's doing. He's been doing so well recently, and really showing that he can perform in bigger tournaments like the Madrid One Thousand, where he made it yeah. to the final. So that's big. Also, he's like he did. He won't have to face Djokovic until the quarters, right? And looking at his draw, which we're gonna get into just now, that little bottom portion. I mean, if he keeps it together and you know can get it through, um, I I I would be happy with him reaching the quarters. There's that would be that would be quite exciting. Other than that, we have some of the biggest um, next gen names here as well. But the thing is that they have not been doing too well. We have Felix yeah, Auger Aliassime, Alex Demenor, Ugo Umbert. I mean, yeah, they're our faves, but they have not been doing yeah. too hot on tour. <laughs> so they're not really contenders here at all. Um, yeah. Actually, Lorenzo, who's younger than all of them, has better chances than them because mm-hmm. he's been showing up on clay on tour recently and he's on his way up so he's definitely a player that can just like have this crazy breakthrough out of nowhere because crazy first round versus david gofan yeah exactly he has a difficult first round but also it's a chance for him to get in like an an a confidence early upset yeah 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 i i totally agree yeah, so then also, obviously, we have Roger <laughs> at the bottom of the draw, the eighth seed, and he might be facing Mateo in the round of 16, which would be Josephine, difficult. Josephine, bold, bold, th- bold of you to think that Roger's going to make it to the round of 16. Oh, I thought you were going to say bold of you to think that <laughs> Mateo's going to make it to the round of 16. I mean, he is opening against Taro Daniel, who, had, who he had that crazy match with at Belgrade. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Roger man. I don't, is I playing very few... a qualifier in the first round, so so I, I don't know I what's that... gonna happen here. Yeah, yeah. Um, going into Rafael Nadal's quarter again. Rafael Nadal's the third seed here because Daniil Medvedev got the second seed, which upset a lot of Rafa fans. Um, but hey, it is what it is, and it is I don't think is. a lot of t- I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about this. But not only does he have a shot at his fourteenth French Open title, he has a shot at his twenty first Grand Slam, which would put him in the lead of the Grand Slam rates. I personally think that this isn't being talked about enough because Fed fans, of whom there are a lot of, are kind of scared to mention that, <laughs> or maybe Rafa fans don't want to mention it to like get their hopes up or whatever. But hey, it's you know this is a big shot here, and I don't think that in my opinion i don't think that you know having the big three all in one section federer is not a threat at all in my opinion um but i don't think that having djokovic and nadal in the same half is that daunting this is rafael nadal and this is roland garros so yeah yeah what more needs to be said so if we needed to pick a second strongest player in the quarter, of course, considering that Rafa doesn't make it all the way through, um, we have Andre Rublev, actually, who made the Monte Carlo finals and then the Rome quarterfinals. So also we have Yannick Sinner, but we've seen nothing since the Barcelona semifinals. I'd like I mean, to... he's gotten he's gotten pretty difficult. Yeah, games. exactly. So he would have to face Rafael Nadal in the round of 16, which is kind of crazy, but... um. Yeah, still, can he make it through? I'm not sure, but um, it would be insane, and we'd like to see it, honestly. I mean, Yannick was the only player who gave Nadal somewhat of a tough time at the French Open last yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. In that, in their, what, was it their quarterfinal match, or was it their round of I don't quarterfinal. know. Quarterfinal. Round of 16 yeah. was versus Sebastian Corda. I was, okay. So then, um, 
I mean, that was the only match where, like, I think Sinner had him a little bit on the ropes in the first set, but um, that would be exciting, too. We've got a few other dark horses there as well with Aslan Karatsev, um, Lorenzo Sonego, who had that great, great run at Rome and the title on Cagliari earlier, Hugo Gaston, who made a bit of a flash in 2020 at the French Open, taking um, Dominic Team to five sets. So he's had, you know, quite a flashy French Open career. Um, but again, we have these dark horses. We have a few players like Diego and Mumphies who are seated, but not really much to expect from them. But this is Nadal's quarter, and I mean, I don't think there's going to be anything It's Nadal's really different. tournament. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing anything different from a Nadal-Rublev quarter and then Nadal making it through to the semis to face off to Djokovic. Sadly, this is how big three draws go. There's not really much to there's not really much to talk about with Ruffole. So moving into the second half in the third quarter, we have Dominic Thiem. So Dominic has not been too impressive except for his Madrid semifinals. Obviously, that's big, but the thing is, we expect more from him. So mm-hmm. that for him, it's not too impressive and not too good going into a slam where there's so much more competition. So yeah. other contenders in this quarter include Alexander Zverev, who has that win in Madrid and also made it to the Rome quarterfinals. So he's been doing well on clay recently. But mm-hmm. um, Zverev and Tiam wouldn't meet until the quarterfinals because they're on completely opposite sides of the draw. But still, Tiam has... A person to get through before getting to the yeah. quarterfinals. Yeah. As you sp- said, I mean, I think the path for Zverev to get to the quarters is pretty clear cut. He doesn't like, he doesn't really seem to have that much opposition there. Um, but for Dominic Team, it's a lot more difficult because he has Casper Ruud in his section. And I would be putting Casper Ruud as a huge favorite to have a big run here and come out of this section. Um, obviously, Monte Carlo semis, Munich semis, Madrid semis, and then finally capping it off with the title in Geneva. So I would say that it's definitely looking like a Zverev and Casper quarter. Um, I, I honestly, honestly do think that Ruud could make it to the semifinals and I beat agree. Zverev. Mm-hmm. And I would love that. Um, because Casper deserves it. His clay, he we we've always known that clay is his favorite surface, right? But he's really been proving it this year with his results. So I think that if he keeps that mentality, um, definitely a big opportunity there. But I think with the ATP, it's also always the question of it's best of five. Best of five is totally different from best of three when it comes to playing those matches in and out. Um, and as you said, Zverev has had those a few better results in those slams. Um, including the French Open last year, reaching the quarters. So um, I'm personally looking forward to a Zverev-Rood quarter. Well, actually, no, I'm not looking forward to Zverev reaching the quarters, but I'm looking forward to Rude making a breakthrough, or if not, hopefully Dominic Team maybe getting some of his confidence back. Yeah. So some of our favorites here, even though they might not make it that far, we have Arthur Cazeau, actually, who we wanted to mention because he recently made that flashy debut with that tweener. And also he's a Frenchman, so maybe that home court thing will be a good thing going for him, hopefully. He's super young, so he's just on the way up. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs on his Grand Slam debut. And then we have Kei Nishikori, who is our favorite, but and he is a clay expert, but he's had mediocre results recently. He's really coming back and easing back into the tour. 
So we hope for more from him. He is in the same section as Alexander Zverev in this quarter. So maybe he'll prove as a threat, maybe not. But there's a bunch of qualifiers here, actually. So that's why Zverev's kind of section of the draw is so open. Why does, so okay, I, I truly just, like, don't under... I, he always gets easy draws. They is that put like all of the... Qual- look, one, two, three, four, five, six qualifiers. <laughs> six! Well, uh, yeah, no, yeah, this is, like, kind of insane. If I... He always gets cakewalk draws like this. Yeah. But, mm, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Personally, I'm hoping for Rude to pull through here. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. We'll see how that plays out. This next quarter, which is the last quarter, is my favorite. Because I think this is, this has a lot of players that um, we like, but also a lot of players who don't like the clay either. Uh, which is, you know, most notably Daniil Medvedev, whose quarter, this is technically his quarter as the second seed. But... In reality, it really is Steph's quarter, Stefano Tsitsipas' quarter. I mean, he's the strongest player in this section of the draw. I think he's the strongest player in this half of the draw. Um, he, you know, had the Monte Carlo title. Um, then he reached the Barcelona finals and also uh, won the Lyon title. And, I mean, taking a look at his draw, he seems poised to make the semis, and that would be pretty amazing. I mean, along with Casper Ruud. Um, he's been having a pretty stellar clay court season and amazing season overall. I'm really impressed with the way that Tsitsipas has been playing since his French Open semi. I mean, looking, rewinding way back, I think when he had that really, I hate to bring this up, but when he had that really debilitating loss to Borna Chorich at the U.S. Open, where he had match points and everything, I think after that loss, people were like, wow, like, you know, that's not a match that he should have lost, right? That was on his racket several times. And the way that he totally, you know, regrouped and was able to reach the French Open semis and then carry that success in through this year at the slams and at other big tournaments, including his first, you know, his, the well, not his first, but the Australian Open semis and then the um, Monte Carlo 1000 title, that's pretty big. So I would say that, like, he's looking pretty poised to make it out of here. But he would have to play probably Sebastian Corda in the second round, who just won a title um, today. So that would be difficult. But like Steph is Steph is really doing well this season. So I mean, dare I say it? But I I think he's reaching the final out of this half of the draw. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, me projection <laughs> <laughs> words. <laughs> So, Daniil, we have on the other half of this quarter. It's kind of silly to talk about him. I mean... Can we talk about his first-round match, though? Yeah. Versus Bublik? Yeah. Like, the two players who probably despise Clay the most on the ATP side facing off against each other in the first round. There's going to be so much anger on that court. I know. I wish I could speak Russian or understand Russian because I think in that match, the amount of cursing or, like, yelling that's going to happen is going to be so funny. But I don't know if you've noticed, like, (laughs) Daniil can speak, like, many different languages. I know we had that conversation. I think it was the Australian Open where he started yelling at his coach in, like, French or something. But he was, like, cursing in Italian or French during one of the past few tournaments about how much he hated clay. But I just think that Bublik and Medvedev is going to be a very entertaining matchup. Oh, for sure. So, Daniil, before even getting to the quarterfinals, which is, like, not even happening, probably, he would have to get through Christian Guerin, 
who is a clay expert, and he made the Madrid quarterfinals. He's been doing phenomenally this year, especially in that South American clay court swing earlier this year. Um, he is definitely a big contender in Daniel's half of the quarter. So I eighth. think, yeah, I think Christian Guerin could make a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Yeah, I think for sure. And, I mean, other than that, there's not really anyone who stands out here. There's Riley Opelka, we have Emil Rusevori, but they haven't been giving such solid results as Christian Guerin has. So that's why I'm saying that he's definitely um, a bigger threat when it comes to the this section of the draw. So then... And I think that yeah. in the Steph part of this quarter, while Steph seems obviously poised to make it to the quarterfinals, I think it's going to be interesting to see who his opponent is in the round of 16 because that's a good opportunity for someone to make it to the second week of the slam um, because we've got that, like, roundage Carreño Busta area. It's completely um, empty other than yeah, that. Yeah, that, that part's pretty open. And Honestly, I'm, I'm rooting for Milos. I'm rooting for Milos. I love that guy. I feel like we haven't seen him in so long, but yeah. Ever since the, I think it was Western and Southern Open, right? No, we've. De- I feel like we definitely have seen him since then. I just like don't remember where. He's too busy doing the Harlem Shake and some. Oh my god, that is my club. favorite video in the entire world. Um, so faves in this quarter, Sebastian Corda, who <laughs> just won Parma and he made his round of sixteen, um, debut. No, he made the round of sixteen on his French Open and Grand Slam debut in twenty twenty. So that's big. Um, and Travi and I were actually joking earlier that since he's such a big Rafa fan, his main incentive was just to play Rafa, so then with that mentality, he can make it to the final. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, like we were saying, I mean, Steph is in this side of the quarter, and other than that, there's really no one stopping him from making it to the semifinals, and we're honestly fine with that. I'm fine and with I that. Think, and I think, as we were saying, Steph has really shown that he has that mentality to make deep slam runs and deep tournament runs at those bigger 1,000-level events, too. Um, and I think the decision to play the Lyon 250 event where he won, that's another added confidence boost that can be so valuable. So I think that he's, I think that he's a player who's good with dealing with the pressure. We saw that in that Australian Open match versus Nadal. Um, we saw that with reaching the, with that, I would say, like, in the, um, French Open semis, he was down, I think, two sets to love in the first round, or, like, he was also coming back from just winning the Hamburg title, and then, remember, Rublev, or getting the, to the final, and then Rublev and Tsitsipas had to play the French Open, like, just a day later, so he was able to come through a few tough rounds there and make it to the semis, so overall, I just think that Stefanos has really upped his mental game, and, I think that, you know, he will be good with the... Because I think a lot of people are whispering about him being a favorite to reach the final. So I think that he's going to be pretty strong at at handling that. And I feel like everyone's talking about how the big three are in the same half. But then again, we have this, like, next-gen quartet. Like, the the four, like, Alexander Zverev, Dominic Thiem, Stefano Sizipas, and Daniel Medvedev all in the same half as well in the other side. So that's what they're saying about the next-gen quarter. But um, I feel like everybody except Steph has have made like significant Grand Slam runs. So maybe it's his turn finally. All right, before we sign off for today, 
um, we are going to share with you our predictions and our personal favorites to win. So starting with the WTA side, my prediction for the title is Arena Sabalenka. I think that she will be making the final for sure and then probably facing Barty or Swiatek, as we said. But I don't know. I'm feeling good. I thought her uh, win um, in Madrid was pretty awesome. So I'm hopeful for a, uh, a, a Grand Slam title for her. I'm picking Ashley Barty because I feel like in slams she just goes into this like mode that's unstoppable. Even though even though she, you know, was gone for a year and we didn't see her at any slams then. She's I know, certainly but since a beast. then, I mean yeah, just since this then. year she's been doing amazing. Mhm. Definitely. As for personal favorites, my personal favorite to win this whole thing is Naomi Osaka, not a big surprise. Not only is she my favorite tennis player, but I want her to prove the haters wrong. Yeah, like we were saying before, like about that new incentive, about really getting her point across by missing as many press conferences as possible. So definitely, but mine is actually Muguruza because she has such a difficult section of the I know, job. I just I know. want her to make it through just to prove that she can because, I yeah. mean, I love her. She just brings good vibes only. Yeah, for so, sure. So on the ATP side... My pick to win the whole thing is actually Dominic Thiem. So, yes, he's not been doing too hot. We know that. But um, still... Something tells you. Something something, tells you. There's something in my noggin that's, like, knocking to pick him. Yes. Um, That's not a saying, but now it is. Um, I am... I was... Okay. Well, I don't really need to justify this that much. I'm picking Rafael Nadal to win. I'm not going to explain why, because if you're even remotely into sports, you know why. Um, not even tennis, just like sports. Um, I was I was thinking maybe Stefanos, but best of five, Roland Garros. This is Rafael Nadal's home turf here. But as for personal favorites, uh, well, mine's pretty predictable. Well, both of ours are pretty predictable, but Josephina, who's your personal favorite? My personal favorite is Sebastian Corda. So, um, yeah, that I only talk about him basically. But um yeah, he just won Parma, which is huge. His first no, actual it's a, it's a, ATP it's a t- Pro title. Oh, I thought you said Parma is huge isn't like a huge tournament. I was like, For him. It's okay, a put it into perspective, it's okay? <laughs> Relativity. Um and yeah, Sebi made it to the round of sixteen last year. <laughs> Maybe this time he'll make it to the final. If he wants to meet Rafa, yeah. Um, I'm picking Matteo Berrettini. I think I was, like, pleasantly surprised when I saw his draw. Maybe I'm overly optimistic or getting my hopes up too much. But, I mean, I would love for him to win. Because that would... Because I nearly cried when he won freaking Belgrade, which is a 250 event. And then I was like, oh, I can be happy now. And then he backed it up with the Madrid final. And I was like, oh? So, I don't know, man. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is Game, Set, and Match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the French Open this week, and of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions, and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released after the first round of Roland Garros wraps up. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shra. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time. <laughs>